Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Retrospective. Avatar, Legend of Korra, Legend of the Last Retrospective. We're in book three, Change. We're here to talk about four chapters today. Chapter six, Old Wounds, Original Airbenders, The Terror Within, and The Stakeout. Matt is my co-host. We're a little wonky today. Because yes. we're in the middle of, of exhausting times, but how are you? Exhausted. How, what, what's new before we get into these episodes? Any exciting news? Anything you want to highlight before we jump into these? Um, I'm being besieged by ants. <laughs> all, all right. Like, like them? <laughs> yes, giant irradiated ants. Um, no. Uh, you know, I took my younger brother to see Ants in theaters, like, not thinking he would like it, just kind of as an excuse, and he really liked it, which I didn't expect. Oh, wow. That movie holds up. Does it really? Yeah, Ants is like, like, it's kind of like one of the first, you know, nuclear giant monster movies. I think it's it's one of the few ones that Oh, you mean them? Yeah. Okay, I thought you were, like, ants, like, the Woody Allen ants. Oh, no, ants. not the fucking Woody Allen ants movie. Uh, oh, God, no. Uh, what the hell? Cora starts learning metal bending from, from Su Yin. and right into it. Yeah, I, I mean, we, to, we, I feel like we kind of got it today. Trying to stop me from going on any other tangents. Yeah. But I, you know what? I think we got a good momentum going, so I'm just going to keep diving in. All right. Let's see if we can just power through these episodes. Old wounds, metal bending. Let's go. All right. And then Lynn basically has to go to physical therapy because she's so fucking angry and stressed. She, and... It's, it's a little <laughs> similar to uh, Zuko ending up in a medical coma. <laughs> like... Yeah. But she <laughs> won't even little... allow herself to fall into that like medical comatose state. She's just, like, yeah. so angry. And when the dude starts, like, checking her chi, and she's like, I don't feel anything. And he's like, okay, that's, like, weird. <laughs> like, that's not good. Yeah, let's, 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 keep, let's keep at this. And uh, we, we see a backstory of how uh, Lin got her her facial scars, and it's because Su Yin was a little troublemaker, and Lin tried to be uh, an officer of the law. And when she tried to arrest her sister, her sister... Uh, broke her little metal cop chain thing and it whipped her right in the face. And that's a pretty fucked up flashback. They look... Is this before Attack on Titan? I think so. Because, like, they, they do that, like, where they attack with those those rope things. Oh, yeah. They just... Did the guy just take that? I don't know how... I, I don't want to make any accusations. <laughs> like, I'll make accusations. That show's not I mean, good. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's not. It's weird that it's so popular. <laughs> you know what? No, I, I liked it when I first started. Wa- I saw the first season. I liked it. Okay. And I was continuing. And then I finished the first season. And by then I was like, all right, I could see the show has nothing to offer me. And it's mm. just going to take its time until it decides to end. Yeah. And everyone was like, say- like, all like up on me because they're like, why are you watching that? It's not good. Now, everyone who called me out for watching it is all aboard the hype train right now. So everyone's full of shit is what I'm saying. I will say it had like I because I watched that and it had like a killer group of like first few episodes, like those that like first chunk of Attack on Titan was like awesome, and then at some point it like settled into like actually having a plot. 
And then it's like, oh, this isn't that interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's some fun characters. I like the animation, um, mm-hmm. and the action's kind of fun. It's just, I don't know. I felt like there's well, something like, kind of creeping beneath it, and no spoilers for I guess people that are watching it. But like, turns out my feelings were founded. <laughs> yeah, all. I know there's been a, there's been a lot of talk about that lately, but I don't I don't know it enough to make any statement about that. Uh, it, but it's it's just one of those things where like, like sometimes when like there's all these debates on whether or not something is uh, politically good or something like that, like some piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, oh, is this actually? Is it? Does it have a fucked up message? Does it have? What is it? What is it really saying? And I kind of just want to be kind of like, I think what it's saying is that it's fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that like, is ultimately the case too. But yeah, yeah, there's just some things where I'm like, I'm not no. Like it's just not worth it, but I like it's got such a like f- like strong fan base. Um, but so does Naruto, which I never got into. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think this is a big thing. Like, and this does come back around to Legend of Korra and Avatar. But like, you know, I used to have like this running joke where I was like, "Fuck anime," and, you know. But mm-hmm. part of it was that like genuinely, some of the the shows that I would watch, I just couldn't get into. Naruto, yeah. Full Metal Alchemist, Attack on Titan. You know, and then Cowboy Bebop is like a masterpiece. And it's like, oh, it's not that I don't like anime. It's that all these ones people show me just fucking suck. Yeah. You know? That's what it is. Full Metal Alchemist is a weird one where, like, I've started Full Metal Alchemist like three times. And I'm always like, man, this is actually really cool. And then it, I just stop and, like, I never come back. And, like, all of yeah. it leaves my brain. Like, yeah, and and I just don't care anymore. Uh, Nichi Joe is fantastic, though. Everyone should watch Nichi Joe. It's like Japanese Seinfeld. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Oh my god, you would Was, lose is, your mind. I'm guessing it's been memed, so I've yes. probably seen memes of it. You, you uh, definitely have. I'll, I'll I'll send you a clip later. Okay, I I've just I'm at this level in quarantine where I keep starting different animes. And watching maybe three episodes and then going like, I think I get it. And then stopping. <laughs> um, I made I made it decently far into My Hero Academia. Mm. Um, I think I watched like the whole first season of that. Oh, you know what I liked, but, it, but it's just so long that I'll never finish it. One Piece. Oh, yeah. I, I keep fucking... I, I, Shannon, my friend is a huge fan of One Piece and keeps like pushing me to get into it. And I keep like trying to and it's just like there's something about it where I will enjoy it, but it's so imposing in how like big it is, you know? Like Yeah, yeah. I feel like I might just she keeps trying to get me to read uh the manga, but I think I'm just gonna jump right into the anime next time and just go fuck it. <laughs> like I got up to like 75 episodes, I think, last time. And it was really, I really like it. I would recommend it up to that point at least, but yeah, it's just so much. Isn't it true <laughs> that like no much. one knows what the One Piece even is? Like, isn't isn't that like a joke people said? I think so, yeah. Like At no least for, for a time. Yeah. And it's but. been going for like years at this point. Yeah. I foolishly decided to go back to Dragon Ball Z. Um, and I'm watching the original version, not not Dragon Ball Z Kai. And 
I don't know how I put up with this shit as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> like all love, I, I all love. Like Dragon Ball Z means a lot to me. It was a big part of my childhood. But like, there is literally an episode where they go, "We're just gonna wait this whole episode, <laughs> <laughs> and we're just gonna stand here." <laughs> And wait and see what happens. So you would say the pacing wasn't very good. No, the pacing was very, very uh, bad. I, the problem is, like, it was one of those things where, like, people kept telling me to watch Kai, and I'm one of those idiots where, uh, or assholes, I guess, not idiots, but I guess they're not mutually exclusive, um, where I read that Kai toned down the violence a little bit. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm not watching that. <laughs> Like, I want to be re-traumatized over and over again. But I bring up pacing because I think book three of Legend of Korra, like, you could learn from this. You could study this season for pacing, structure stuff, and it is like, you could learn so much from it, you know? Yeah, no, the pacing is tripping. It's almost too quick, (laughs) you know? Like, uh, I, I I, I won't say it, but it's one of those things where this is like the one season where I'm like, I would like these villains to be recurring, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I would like this conflict to be a recurring thing. I'm, I'm not saying it, it's bad the way it is. It's just like, this is the one time I kind of feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, it's uh, so good at establishing all these characters and conflicts that you do want more of it. Yeah. This is kind of one of those where, like, again, Legend of Korra is, like, very different than last airbender where it's the seasons are like 13 episodes and you don't get maybe some breathing room that like you they don't need it but it would be nice to have an episode where it's just the red lotus or something like that you know Mm -hmm. like where we just get a full episode of them being who they are and even if, like, they're still awful people by the end. But, you know, it's like, I could... There's there's characters in this where I could be like, I could do, like, at least three episodes on each member of the Red Lotus, you know? But instead, like, for the for what it is, it, it rules. Yeah, um, and we, we do... I mean, this season is, is broken up into, like, little mini-arcs almost, like we brought up last time. You kind of open yeah. up with, like, the Earth Queen conflict. You build up to that. Then this one has, like, the little mini Zaofu side quest with Lin and the Beifong siblings. And then Lin and Su Yin throw down in this episode. And it's, like, epic. Oh, and uh, I, I we, we barely brought it up last time, but Su Yin's daughter, Opal, is the new airbender that they're there to recruit. And her and Bolin have a little thing, but uh, she's the one that ends up breaking up the conflict between her sisters because, or between her mom and her aunt, because she's like, your sisters, you're supposed to care about each other. And uh, eventually, like, they're just like, Lin just needed to kind of get it out of her system. And that yeah. Su Yin and Toph, their mom, like, they worked it out years ago because they were willing to open up, like, a dialogue about these problems. Like, you know, like a healthy family relationship doesn't mean you don't get along all the time. It just means that you can talk about things with each other. And Lynn never got to that point. And that's probably partly why she's been so angry and aggressive all the time, you know? Yeah. I just find that really like fascinating. They're both, they're both the two responses to a somewhat absent parent, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, 
Lynn went into being a police officer. She doesn't like oh, oh, outright say it. She just, but it's more like she's like, I did to make my mom happy, but it, like that didn't work. And it's more like you can tell she did it because she just wanted her mom to be around, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like, uh, who's Jim Henson's son? Um, Something Henson. I don't, I don't I know. It's Brian name. Henson. I could be wrong. Um, or not even Erla, Hayao Miyazaki's son. Yeah, Goro. Um, it, yeah, if you read interviews with them, they kind of both like let like this like get this weird window into like these people we kind of remember as geniuses, where they're like, at some point I realized if I wanted to spend time with my father, I had to do what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> even if his father didn't want him to, and it's that's a very yeah. like. That that relationship is just out in the open, and it's like you try not to like psychoanalyze people you don't know, especially if you're not a therapist. But sometimes they just leave it all out to the universe, you know, yeah. <laughs> like to let it all hang I, out. To be a little bit fair to uh, Goro, that's his name, correct? Yeah. Um, what just what just happened with the new Ghibli film that dropped? Where like everyone's kind of been like, this is actually terrible. <laughs> And it's been like a huge, like, wasn't, it was like a TV special in Japan, right? Yeah, and like it, it, was, and, it, and it, it doesn't fucking, have a film budget. Yeah, and HBO Max tried to like position it as the return of Studio Ghibli, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, 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 he got fucked on that. Yeah, I think that's really unfair to the guy, so. Um, I have not watched his Earthsea film, though, just I've heard it's not good. Mm. Uh, but apologies to Goro Miyazaki. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. It's sad, you know. It's just, it's it's just one of those things where it's like, I I can't imagine. That's a that's a weird position to be in, you know. It's mm-hmm. just like I wanted to have a connection with my father, but I realized the only way it could happen is if I just be became my father, <laughs> or like if I tried to live his life, you know. <laughs> It's like, you know, you're not always meant to do that. <laughs> Most of the time, you're not meant to do that. And I think that's partly what I find so interesting about these first two episodes we're talking about today, Old Wounds and Original Airbenders. Uh, we could talk about Zaheer and, like, the anti-Avatar team in a second because they don't have yeah. a lot to do in Old Wounds. They just kind of escape Republic City, and you see how threatening they are, and that's cool. Yeah, they just get, like, a good action, but, some good action stuff going yeah. on. With and them. they mention that their plan is to also kill the president of Republic City, which yeah, is, like, well, I like whoa. it that he was, like, you still want to try and take out the president, and then it's like, nah, we'll do that. We, we don't have time. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, then they can just be, like, they can casually go, like, we were going to kill the president, but we don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you, know what that, you know what it reminded me of a little bit? Hmm. Um, remember in John Wick 2 when he goes to Italy and what's his name sits him down and he's just like I just have to ask you one question are you here for the Pope yeah. <laughs> it's like a great moment where it's like that's a, a plausible thing <laughs> that could happen but like, he, like the fact that he's not there for the Pope makes what he's about to do like even more badass um, but I, I, I just wanted to say that like I, I find these two episodes really fascinating because it really lets you get back into like the world of the the original team avatars like offspring and see like the weight of their burden again you know like Tenzin's character has like had a really um he's been like consistently good throughout this entire series like writing wise and character wise 
But it's nice to see him like, okay, now he's finally in charge of, of a new airbending society. And he's finally he, got what his father always dreamed of. <laughs> yeah, and he he can't really do it by himself because mm-hmm. he's not allowing himself to become like a leader. He's just he's pivoting himself as like almost kind of like god emperor of the airbenders. Like not yeah. not totally like close minded, but also a little close minded. You know, <laughs> he's not like a fascist. He's just like. He's not willing to listen to other perspectives. Like, he doesn't know best all the time, and that's okay, because a good leader would, like, acknowledge, you know, other avenues to success. Like, Janora knows her stuff, and... Yeah, but then there's, like, someone who's like, all right, I have this whole thing planned out in my head. I know exactly how this is going to work. And then when it, like, slightly deviates from that, he has no idea what to do. Like, you know, he's had, because he's been, his all he's had his whole life is to think about what he would do if this, if these events happened, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, in my wildest dreams, if the airbenders came back, what would I do? And like, that's all he's had time to think about. <laughs> but I, I think we have to talk about like how good the show is at walking this tightrope of being the legend of Korra. It's a show about Korra, but also having the children of the previous generation be such prominent characters because it, it could easily just become their show, you know, mm-hmm. like it could, it could be the, uh, a problem. I don't, a, a criticism I don't really agree with, but I see thrown out a lot about the force awakens where like well, once Han Solo shows up, it just becomes Han Solo's movie, which I don't really agree with, but I see that how that could be a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was the problem where when they were talking about if you read, if, you know, if nerds bothered reading interviews, maybe. Um, If you read any interview with the people that wrote uh, The Force Awakens, they're like, anytime we tried to bring Luke in in the middle, it just became Luke's movie. Like, no matter what we tried to do, it was like, even if, like, we brought him in, like, like in the third act, even if it just becomes Luke's movie at that point. And so they were smartly like, all right, we'll make just make we'll make him be the MacGuffin, <laughs> like <laughs> we'll make him be the cliffhanger. And uh, a bunch of fans uh, didn't seem to pick up on that, but <laughs> you know, it, like it's just, that's an abyss that can so, someone can so easily fall into. Yeah, uh, I think that's part of the reason why it's so great, like that this show, Legend of Korra, it's kind of like. It's not the next generation, it's the next, next, next generation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or like, no, next, next. Not three next, just two nexts. Two generations. There you go. I'm good at math. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, um, so you can pick up threads like that to, to see the aftermath of the world the previous generation kind of built and also maybe didn't completely uh, fulfill the world, you know, like see, mm. see how they kind of, they, they made some stuff work. They didn't make everything work. That's going to happen. And, um, well, it's the problem that anyone faces. I don't, you know, this is, this is where we're getting in a territory where it's just like, we're, we're getting to stuff that is too big for me to really talk about. Cause <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's like, how many times like it's, you can look at it's, it's in a lot of literature, but you can also look at it in just the real world of people who come along and are like, here's the plan. If we just do this, everything's going to work out, you know? Mm-hmm. 
like they have a vision that they want to achieve and they're like we're going to push the future and then I, I will make the future and everything will be great and it's like the world does not follow your plans <laughs> and like anyone that's ever built a great empire that empire eventually falls you know and it's not through poor planning it's not through not, people not following the rules it's just what happens you know and it's just this thing of like you know Aang and the gang uh, they they did their best to rebuild the world after the war and we're just kind of living with like you know they created a peace but that peace isn't permanent you know you can't make a permanent peace but the problem is they built a world that doesn't know how to respond to change I mean that's why like the whole theme of Legend of Korra is just how does a world like this that has seemingly moved on from the Avatar cycle how does that now deal with change not to leave that point completely behind but like i want to highlight just how good this show is at ensemble writing because the original airbenders episode Cora's is in it for like 30 seconds yes over a radio call <laughs> it's all just the airbenders like trying to acclimate to life in the uh, the northern air temple and like trying to get adjusted to this like training like regime how like Boomy's still like a clown. Tenzin tries to pick up after Boomy and be more militant, and then that fails because that's not what those people need. And they're like, "Well, I don't know if I want to like shave my head. I don't know if I want to live by like a strictly air nomad culture." And it's like, "Yeah, why would they like? Yeah, why would why would people just suddenly want to embrace that culture? (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's not their not their culture. Yeah, and they don't get super deep into it." But um, Pema, Tenzin's wife, right? She brings up that she had like trouble like adjusting to like air acolyte life when um, she started to get to you know know Tenzin, and there's there's this interesting idea where like yeah they're they're part of the air nation culture now, but maybe they don't have to be fully like involved with like um, the vegan lifestyle. Or, like, yeah. live specifically by those rules that might be a little more restrictive than what they're used to. It's just about accepting their roots in the culture and being able to carry it on in their own way. Yeah. And also they fight animal poachers who definitely killed little baby air bison We will point. get to that. But I, was, I, I, just want to put, I just want to bring something up. Like, we're dealing with a culture that is the victim of imperialism, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... This is what happens when you commit a mass genocide. <laughs> like, you've basically wiped them off the face of the earth. And this is... I, I This is going to be a weird pivot. I am sorry. We always but, do this. It's fine. Um, there's, a, there's been a big push um, over the years with the original Star Wars, with how popular it is, to translate it into as many languages as possible. Because it, in a way, it will help preserve those languages, you know. Because mm-hmm. um, we're we're living in an era where like le- languages are just going extinct constantly. It's kind of one of those things we just don't talk about as we kind of become like this global. You know, we live under globalization, basically. Um, yeah. It's we're we're getting to a point where everything's kind of coming together, and at some point, there's just going to be a few dominant languages. And uh, that's what progress is, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not always great. I think people want to go like, well, that's a sacrifice 
that needs to be made. I, I, there's a real, I, I, I think it's an American attitude that like all progress is inherently good, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't, especially these days, I just don't believe that's true. And I think we have to reckon with like, hey, you know, like sometimes yes, progress is great. It can lead to huge jumps in like medical treatment in how we help each other. We feed the world more people, less people are starving now than at any point in human history, which is crazy. Like not just, not just percentage wise, just the number of people in general, less are starving right now, Um, which is, you know, that's like amazing, right? But at the same time, progress leads to, we just lose so much in terms of culture. And even people trying to do very noble things in helping the world go forward can, you know, decimate a history and a culture of a people. It's one of these questions that is almost too big for a kid's show, I guess. <laughs> like, like the, the fact that the show goes in that direction is what's kind of so crazy about it. This is something that stuff that is for adults struggles to handle sometimes. <laughs> and, uh... It's it's one of the major themes of this children's cartoon show. Well, I, I think that's part of what makes Legend of Korra great in its own way, apart from Last Airbender. And I, I know we bring it up like basically every episode now, but it's kind of important to talk about Last Airbender's like pretty clear stances between like this is the good outcome to the situation, this is the bad outcome, right? Yes. S- simpler good versus evil tale, and this one's like yeah, Legend of Korra is is less about defeating bad guys and more about how do you kind of live with the world now that it's changing? At what point do you realize like what is actually better for the world? And the show doesn't always have like, this season's a little more complicated, but the show overall will come to see doesn't always have a full answer to these questions it brings up. And sometimes that that's kind of made us feel a little like they dropped the ball in some capacities. And I think as the show goes on, it actually gets smarter and more empathetic with how it handles those questions. And that sometimes just asking the question is like mm-hmm. is enough for right now, you know? Yeah. Asking like to, to check it. in on people to see how they're doing with these changes is enough yeah. for right now. I think this is something where, again, people look at Korra as a character and they're like, oh, like you know, like oh, she's a bad avatar. Like she does the be- like she doesn't really do well as the avatar. And I, you know, there's a lot to say about that statement. Mm-hmm. But to me, the big thing is just missing is that like this is not a show that like when Korra does like beats the bad guy and then makes a decision at the end. This is not a show that goes and she objectively did the right thing. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Like even when she goes up against the guy like in the previous season who was just like a maniac, it's still like Cora makes a decision, but we're not gonna make it clear like how right she is. Yeah, she's the hero, so we're always gonna be somewhat on her side. But it's also something of like you kind of have to make that decision yourself, and that's what the show is imparting to you. Yeah, and as we'll see. Still, a lot of people are across the world, even outside of Republic City, have to kind of acclimate to the spirits kind of just popping out wherever now. 
you know, that like nature's back in a big way and that's it's a little funky for people. <laughs> Did you know that Hayao Miyazaki's upcoming film is titled How Do You Live? I'm sure that is going to be a bucket full of hugs. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that won't be devastating. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus that's, fucking Christ. That's, that's one insane. Of those that's that's the most ominous title of any film I've ever heard. Yeah, I'm uh I'm sure it'll be great. I'm not looking forward to that because I know it's going to be hard like to watch. <laughs> um <laughs> Miyazaki. Wow. Miyazaki was quoted as saying that this is a film for his grandson as a way of saying Grandpa is moving on to the next world soon, but he's leaving this film behind because he loves you. Wow. Wow. I'm sure Goro is very happy about that. Can you imagine uh, being that ambitious with every film you make? I kind of hate that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, how dare you? You know? How dare you be that good? Like, yeah, we, know, like, we, have to, we have to wait to see the film. So, uh, but like, but, think of yeah. like the the film of his that least works for you. It's still mm-hmm. someone else's favorite, and it's kind of yeah. hard to like deny them that, you know? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, like you know, it's one of those things where like I try not to be like the greatest. Like I I, I try to do that less because I feel like so many people get held up as like, oh, this guy's the greatest thing ever. But it's like, yeah, I think Miyazaki's someone where it's like, Howl's Moving Castle might be my least favorite Miyazaki film, and it's still kind of like better than most movies. <laughs> did you see Wind Rises? I did. That's a devastating film. <laughs> I, yeah, I <laughs> like it one. more as I get older. That's a complicated one. It's like you achieve your dream. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's another one of those movies where just like there's so many like not clean emotions because I think that that's Miyazaki's real genius that like why western animation series just never catch up to him which is that he is not interested in giving you like a clean ending you know Mm -hmm. like he is not interested in being like here's exactly how you have to feel at this exact moment where it's like even when you know Pixar at its golden age would take big swings they're kind of always trying to make sure everyone is on the same page mm-hmm. you know and that can that can sometimes work and sometimes very much not <laughs> yeah it's sometimes it's the first half of wally other times it's the second half of wally <laughs> exactly that might be the best way to put it <laughs> yeah so it's a very clear divide between the two <laughs> qualities of pixar i think but i mean the the problem with, like, all Pixar, and I love Pixar, but it's, like, you know what the plot of all their movies is, like, five minutes in, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you know what this movie's gonna be. And the, the thing that made Pixar so good is that they were just so good at telling that story. Yeah. And, but at some point, it's like, all right, now what? <laughs> like, ugh, I, was, mm. I was so disappointed with Soul. Uh, Maybe we talked about this, but still yeah, was like, really, I like it. I, I like it still. Yeah, it, 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 I was really let down by that movie. Oh, sorry. But also, I also am like kind of just at the point where it's like maybe I should just stop watching these. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like this is not for me. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I, I think you saw my, my Wandavision tweets where I was like, you know what, I, I like the those first two even more than I thought I did. Oh, I even like mm. the third one a lot. Like I think I love this. Then the fourth yeah, one just then... like. I was like, "All right, I'm I'm good now." 
Like, yeah. there's no reason for me to continue. I'm just... I, I know what this is going to be now. Even mm-hmm. apart from the spoilers, like, I know how I'm going to feel about all this because of that episode. So there's there's nothing for me there. Yeah. That was, that was disappointing. That my, my, my version of How Do You Live is just me looking directly into the camera and going, don't waste your time with this comic book shit. <laughs> yeah. No, I That's mean, because... You, you know, it, it is kind of like... I know this is like generic internet like bullet points now but like it kind of is all this shit under the Disney like umbrella like they're commodifying their entertainment to an extent you know where it's like you're starting to see the like read between the lines a lot you know it's like now the Marvel stuff's never gonna change the Pixar stuff is never gonna change the the Disney movies are never gonna change and they're gonna just keep commodifying whatever they can and i don't know maybe that's that's i'll probably cut that out of the episode that's just no no this is, this is all fine because we're because like like the show legend of Horror, we're in a very weird spot as a society right now <laughs> i mean we're, we're we're going through these just there is nowhere i think in society where there isn't like a monumental shift going on <laughs> you know Mm-hmm. Like every industry seems to be going through something major right now, and not even issue, but like you know, like with like you with Bitcoin and shit like that, all that bullshit. It's like currencies going through a, a Titanic shift, you know. Like even that, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's just kind of unbelievable that how much of it is happening all at once, and. We none of us really know what to do about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I have hope though that like we're st- there's like this undercurrent of people that want a pushback. You know, like you can feel it. You know, yeah, I, yeah. against the kind of like same old, same old Marvel shit, Disney shit. But at the same time, I feel like we're entering like that. We're in, like, Matrix Reloaded territory, <laughs> where it's, like, not only is everyone under the control, but the revolution is under their control, too, you know? <laughs> Maybe. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it really feels like that. Because, <laughs> like, the, now it's, like, tr- there's you can see, like, these big companies trying to position themselves as being, like, we're not that Disney shit. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, but you know, you're 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 just your own version of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but they've gotten enough people. Like it's become a weird, like yes, people are rightfully not happy with the same old same old of Marvel, but they're being co-opted by someone who's just going to sell them another shitty product. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a really weird space. But uh, if we follow the footsteps of Tenzin, we will also have to learn to work with others. And eventually decide that, yes, it is time for your daughter to get her tattoos. <laughs> this very specific set of events will also occur in your life. That's a, that's a, that was a, a very good attempt at a pivot back to what Thank you. That was, I, I tried about. really hard. That was a valiant effort. Thank uh, you. <laughs> not sure it worked, but we're, I don't we think are so back. either. So it must have worked on some level. <laughs> oh, there's, a, there's another ant. Oh, goody. Where are these ants coming from? Sorry, I'm just look like I can't. I'm. Oh, yep, they're definitely coming from the light. I can see one in the light. Those fuckers. 
Yep. They know it's it's the wake up time for them because <laughs> the weather's getting better. So, you bastards. Or who? All right. So the Bison are the original Airbenders, right? The Bison are the original Airbenders. The Dragons were the original Firebenders. The the the, the Badger Moles were the original Earthbenders. And mm. I forget who were the original Waterbenders. I think it was like. No, I don't think we ever find out. Was it the moon? Maybe. The moon or the was fish? The moon? <laughs> that poor girl turned into the moon. Yeah, she's still she's still up there. <laughs> you know, for a, for a show that's the, the show like this gets so heavy on the spirits, I feel like they could have done something with that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like just a quick check in to be like, I'm the moon and I'm happy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like being the moon. All right. It's good yeah. to know. I was it's a little concerned. Know. Yeah. You know, I'm not just sitting with existential dread that the moon was a living person. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, that fucking moon was watching Sokka's whole life. I know. I know. I Although I did ever. I'd, I'd never get over that. <laughs> I, I liked your interpretation, though, or, like, your your, your kind of headcanon about, like, maybe Sokka went there after, like, you know, he lived his life, became an old man, and then went to the spirit world to be with the moon. That's a nice, mm. that's a nice thought. Yeah, I forgot I had even said that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that that's a touching sentiment. But then what about, uh, what's her name of the Kyoshi Warriors? Suki? Oh, Suki yeah. uh, probably died of old age, you know? Yeah, but did he abandon her? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know how the spirits work, man. It, it's all kind of in flux, you know. <laughs> kind of hop that, in that's, and out. That's the weird thing about heaven, as a concept. <laughs> <laughs> there are, like, you know, truly, you know, if the, if if you try to do the thing where it's like there's a heaven and a hell, and you really think about it for more than five minutes. There's no one I'd really, truly want to see in hell forever, you know? <laughs> like, there really isn't. Like, that's just awful. But there's also a lot of people I wouldn't want to run into if I'm in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, there's, uh, so how does heaven work then if there are people there I don't want to see? <laughs> I, I don't have an answer for this. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we got to unpack this one a little bit. No. <laughs> there, are so, there are people in heaven I know would want to see me that I have no interest in seeing them. <laughs> we so how do we make so those good. two things? How do we make those two things work, you know? This is an interesting philosophical concept. Because this is a universe where, like, a spirit world exists. <laughs> maybe I don't know maybe they have to like I don't know because reincarnation's only thing for the avatar yeah so what that but then it's also like only an essence of their life force it's not their own specific life force mm-hmm. so like their spirit can still rest in the spirit world or whatever, right? So I don't know. There, there's a lot of like avenues with this. I, I feel like it's inherently not concretely answered because 
they don't want nerds to fucking nitpick the shit out of it. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, unless you put in the time to figure it out, don't bother exploring it, you know? Yeah, it's it's the looper thing, you know, little fucking fry your brain, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just like if you start asking those questions, like, it just all falls apart, just because no one is meant to think about it this much. (laughs) Um, But to me, it's like, did did a form of the Enlightenment happen in the Avatar universe? Because a big part of modern society is the Enlightenment, and the Enlightenment leads to things like, you know, like where we suddenly go like, hey, you know, maybe God doesn't actually choose kings, <laughs> which is like a big thing to realize, that like there isn't a such thing as divine punishment. <laughs> Although some people seem to still believe it exists. I know, I was going to say. Not, <laughs> it's not, it's not an absolute truth like it used to be. You know, mm-hmm. where it's like, we were all like, for a long, for a huge chunk of human history, we were all just kind of in agreement <laughs> that if a bad thing happened to someone, it happened for a reason. <laughs> and that's why for the longest time, all our gods are like assholes. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, it happened for a reason doesn't mean it was a good reason, <laughs> but <laughs> it still probably must have happened for a reason. It's like, oh, you accidentally saw that one god naked when they were taking a bath or something because you were out <laughs> walking in the woods. Well, now you're gonna be fucking cursed for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's like that's how that's how life works now. <laughs> it's like, oh, you got struck by lightning. That's because you must have fucking just said the one wrong thing that Zeus just didn't want to hear that day. <laughs> And then we luckily we figured out no the world's just chaotic and there's no purpose of anything and it's all terrible. <laughs> I'm tempted to leave all of that in the episode. This is this is a hundred percent what we're talking about because fucking well with the red lotus is like their whole thing. <laughs> this is all relevant. All right, all right. Well, Bunch we got we got two more episodes to go. Although we could still kind of talk more about original Although, Airbenders. Uh, yeah, um, I just wanted to point out, because you did mention that the one guy was kidnapping baby bisons, mm-hmm. and had a, was wearing a bison pelt. Yeah, and that was and not expli- an adult-sized pelt. And it was explicitly mentioning that these bisons, they were capturing them for their meat. Mm-hmm. They also, for, no, no one asked the show to throw this line in there. Uh-huh. But they say the Earth Queen ate her father's pet bear. <laughs> So that bear's fucking dead. To be fair, it is kind of an allegedly thing, but the fact that they threw it in there means that they definitely want us to have that information. Even if it didn't happen, it's all in our heads now. Yep. It's like, we didn't like her already. She was taking prisoners of war, you know? This is now a plausible thing that can happen in the Avatar universe. (laughs) You know, we've talked about how, like, the show kind of is like, no, we're not doing Last Airbender again. And here they're like, listen, we said we're not doing that again. Because there's only one logical conclusion. (laughs) Which is that that bear is fucking dead. Yeah, that was a moment that happened. Yeah, that was, uh, that's pretty rough. But hey, those, those dudes get beaten up and... I presume left for dead in those cages because there's like no civilization around them. Yeah, why not? Fuck them. Yeah. (laughs) They are like the most openly evil characters on the show so far, I think. 
Maybe, I mean, there was, like, the devil last season. <laughs> yeah, but, like, you know, the devil's just, like, a force of nature, really, you know? Like, he can't <laughs> help it that he's the devil, but it's not his fault. I guess. But, uh... <laughs> so here's the question. Is is it possible for good to exist without evil? Oh, oh for 10,000 yeah. years it's up in the air, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or is, what if the, what if the twist this season it was like Prince of Darkness? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, there is a good and evil, but it's like beyond our comprehension, and it has nothing to do with humanity. And that's why the Red Lotus is like the Red Lotus because they're just like fuck it, nothing matters. Yeah, we get, uh, um, yeah that's why it's uh, fucking Henry Rollins, and we get what's his name, um, <laughs> Alice Cooper's back. <laughs> As like a bum on the streets of Republic. No, no, no. City. Alice Cooper should have played Iway. Hey, there you go. Uh, no, he's got to be the street bum from Prince of Darkness. That's I'm so, like that's like all he can be. Fine, fine. Think of all the horror movies that used like Alice Cooper, and like that's Carpenter was the one who actually knew what to do with them. Mm-hmm. That's just because John Carpenter's the fucking best. Yeah, goddamn! Did did Henry Rollins ever pop up in a Carpenter film? No, he would have been great yeah. in like Ghosts of Mars or something, though. Yeah. You know, he, he he totally should have been like a guy that like you run into for two seconds in Ghost of Mars. You know, mm-hmm. like he's in Johnny Mnemonic. Oh fuck, that's right. Are, are we are we His Johnny Mnemonic it. heads? Um, Johnny Mnemonic is the gold star, the gold you tried star of movies. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, it's not a perfect film, it's kind of a mess, but it's also like, wow, they really went for it. <laughs> amazing art designs and stuff like that. Amazing art design, um, it's, it's, there's a lot that's fun about it, it just never gets that to that level where you can go like... This is like this is a movie I'd recommend to people. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it, it's cool if you're like rep- a Keanu head at best, or you just like cult cinema. You know, like if you're yeah. like into that shit, you might you get something be, out like, of it. Three layers deep into like what cyberpunk is, <laughs> and and what the '90s were. You know, like yeah, you need to you need to be like all these levels deep before you can go like, you know, what's kind of interesting, Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> <laughs> Because other than that, it's like, you know, like, yeah, everyone was afraid of the Japanese, so there's Yakuza and all these stories. Like, there's, everyone thought this is what computers were going to look like. (laughs) (laughs) Where they, like, they somehow don't look like iPods. Also, he he can only carry, like, one gigabyte in his head or something like that. That's probably the funniest part of that movie. (laughs) And they're like, whoa, all that data. And it's like, literally, you can just put it in your pocket. Like... (laughs) I had a, like, in, like, when I was in high school, I had, like, a one, I think it was, like, a one terabyte iPod or something insane like that. <laughs> like, whatever the largest iPod was, I had that. <laughs> it's more than fucking Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, why did I get the biggest iPod? Like, I would never listen to enough music. I don't know. Um, Johnny Mnemonic <laughs> is not an airbender. <laughs> No, he is not. He could, he's a cyberbender. Pop up in in like a avatar thing. Oh, he could have been a fun Tenzin. I don't know if Tenzin. I, mean, I don't know. I, I I see him. I want to see him 
do like a villain. I think Keanu All could right. totally be a villain. I'd like to see that. Hey, it's possible now. So what does that mean? Wait, <laughs> a- Avatar Studios. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. What did you think <laughs> I, I was talking for, about? I thought for a second you were like, "Yeah, it's believable now that we know more about Keanu." Oh no, no. <laughs> I was like, oh wait, what came out? Like I had a moment where I was like, oh, <laughs> no, shit, no, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> that would like break humanity. Yeah. I think people would stop trying to be good. If we found out Keanu was like a piece of shit or something. I will say, here's what happened. If it came out that Keanu Reeves was a piece of shit, like whatever, like that seems to happen with celebrities. Like I'm ba- I'm past the point where I'm like super shocked anymore. But the first person that goes, I never really liked Keanu anyway. I would find that person and kill them. <laughs> Chapter eight, the terror within. Is there anything else I want to say about the original Airbenders? <laughs> I like Kai a lot. I, I like that little Aladdin kid a lot. Oh, fucking Boomy says, even though I'm Aang's son, I never felt part of the Air Nation. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, and Tenzin a, tells him a, that he is, though. That's, no, a, that's a sad moment. No, it's super sad, yeah. I mean, that, that's part of why this show is so great at like, balancing this these characters. This is why the show's terrible, because it ruins Aang as a character. That's how much we could make if we were just outraged about everything. <laughs> I'd never be happy. <laughs> Like, ever. Well, those people clearly aren't happy. <laughs> Chapter 8, The Terror Within. Ah. Ah, ah. Um, Opal uh. leaves to the Northern Air Temple. It's a it's a touching moment. Her and Bolin begin, like, a, a kind of a relationship. It's like a, it's, it's like early lovers kind of honeymoon stage shit. All cutesy, yeah. hunky-dory. And, uh, the problem is Bolin's a dope. Yeah, Bolin's an idiot, but like whatever. <laughs> she can clearly handle it. She can handle herself around him, and that's that's the important thing. Because um, oh, you know what? Mako's still an idiot, also, but we get to see him like go to work this episode, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, he um, finally gets to like do some actual things that help. <laughs> yeah, because Zahir and his team break into Zaofu through mysterious methods, and. They just fucking, like, tear a hole in the center of, like, the city, basically. And it's just really great action scene. Great action. Um, I, I, I'm i a little... I wish there had been a little more show, don't tell, in terms of... It's impossible to get into this city is supposed to be the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's supposed to be, like, this impenetrable city. And I get that it's metal bending, but I felt like there should have been, like, a moment where it's, like... They make it clear. Like, you know they're gonna get in somehow... Yeah, yeah. Because that's just, like, the plot. But, like, I wanted a moment where it's, like... Because it's, like, when they get in, it's, like, okay. Like, <laughs> they never really outlined why this is the, like, most difficult city to penetrate in the lands. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they definitely just keep saying that it is, and they don't they don't have anything to show yeah. for it. You know, just they just need, like, one moment of, like, oh, well, if you try to get in, these fucking spikes will kill you or something. Oh, like, my God. Yeah, just something, just anything. That's like mm-hmm. just the first thing I thought of. Yeah, uh, uh, and Bolin cannot metal bend to save his life, but he's really good at throwing very specific pebbles. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, like whatever. Uh, and and again, like early on in the episode before the action, like we see Korra and and Bolin training with Suyin's twin sons, and like mm-hmm. it's just nice to see that these characters, even though there's like thirty cast members at this point in the series. <laughs> They all just, like, how they all communicate, it all feels very natural, and it's not like, 
oh yeah, that's right, your name, and that's right, your names, we can keep track of anyone. I don't remember the twins' names, but I understand how comfortable the characters are all with each other, and that's, like, impressive to me at this point, you know? Um, it is. Yeah. And uh, uh, Zaheer's girlfriend keeps blowing shit up with her brain, which is, like, that's, like, a scary ability still. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, like, really fucked up. <laughs> It's 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 borderline a scanner's ability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Legend of Korra directed by David Cronenberg. No, no, he's too it, he's too evil. Some... I know, but it could go places. <laughs> I guess I don't know. <laughs> like I know we joke about that stuff, but like I I like David Cronenberg. I don't like the man David Cronenberg. I wouldn't feel comfortable <laughs> around him. <laughs> I don't want him around this. <laughs> Are you saying his films maybe raise questions oh, about <laughs> what he's like when it's just him alone with his thoughts? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. I got some questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but they rescue Cora. Um, and they... you know, uh, Martin Scorsese put uh, Cronenberg's Crash in like his ten films of the decade, uh, and he was on Ebert like when he gave his list, and I think he calls it like genuinely sexy or something. Oh uh, genuinely, boy, genuinely erotic, and they hmm. kind of just brush past that comment. I would too, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you saying I understand Cronenberg. I what's up with Scorsese? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to think of short king Martin Scorsese and Crash. Um, I didn't expect it from a good no, Catholic no. man like <laughs> Scorsese. Uh, but yeah. It's all that coke uh, left over from the 70s and 80s. Yeah, Cronenberg played uh, the killer in Nightbreed. Did you ever see that? I never did, no. Uh, he's really good as a fucking horrible murder man. <laughs> no, he was a, a mad doctor in Alias. He's really good. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, and in uh, the opening of Jason X. Yeah, for some reason. <laughs> oh, I found out because that director started as like one of Cronenberg's like practical effects guys. Oh. Yeah, so he hopped in like you know as a favor. That's honestly like something that makes me like Cronenberg. It's like I'm just gonna, I'll just pop up in Jason X. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds nice. Uh, and yeah. I actually I got a soft spot for the schlock that is Jason X because wow. Yeah, it's- <laughs> Oh, and he's on, Cronenberg uh, is on uh, Star Trek Discovery. Oh, right now? He's a recurring character. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, All right. See, you won me over to the man, David Cronenberg. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if he's, like, a recurring character or if he's just on, like, a three-episode arc. But, uh, yeah, he showed up on Discovery. <laughs> I'm looking at his acting credits, and they are interesting. He's in The Stupids. <laughs> oh, your favorite uh, John Landis film, right? Yeah, um, that's a it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> also, he played the gynecologist in The Fly. He also directed The Fly. I know, I know, he directed The Fly, but like, if you're gonna give yourself one role. <laughs> But uh, after after a lengthy investigation into who could have possibly helped Zaheer and his team enter the city of Zaofu, no, let me uh, let me say what happens. Okay. The incredibly shifty guy goes, "How could they have gotten in here?" 
Yeah. Well, I mean, this kind of has that that problem with a lot of like mystery stuff it's the, when it's the, there's only a the handful law. of characters they introduce. You know. <laughs> Yeah, isn't it? Isn't the? Isn't it Ebert's uh, the law of economy of characters, where it's like, at a certain point, it just has to be that guy. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just there's just not enough characters. I mean, I do appreciate the attempt to like kind of throw us off on. He's the one who's like someone had to have helped them, you know. Yeah, and it's like we don't know anyone else in the city, dude. <laughs> It's like, just, but like he's been incredibly shifty and an asshole for the, his entire like three episode appearances. Yeah. So it's a little, uh, yeah, it's gonna be him. Also, oh, but, he's voiced by Maurice Lamar. So. No, but but he ha- he has a fun moment when Mako's like, "I hate sitting on this side of the table," and he's like, "Oh no, not because of you." And he's like, "I can tell you're lying." Like that's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 obvious that it's him. Also, this is a good time to mention that. Uh, the lie detectors are bullshit. <laughs> but hey, hey, you know, yes, yes, they are. But to be fair, they also set it up here like they do in reality when they have you give your they 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 trace your like pulse yeah. by um by having you like say truths and then start hitting you with the questions. Yeah. So you know, it's like it could still be like fucked up here and you know to go back to last airbender when toth tries it on um on on what's her face zuko's sister what's her name Mm. i'm my brain is all over the place today i'm so sorry it's fine yeah yeah but she she's able to weasel out of it too so it's like it is not a hundred percent a thing you know there's context yeah well because i mean lie detectors are like you, that's why you can't use them in court because <laughs> they, <laughs> they are not an exact science yeah and it's it's bullshit so don't trust lie detectors unfortunately our military and intelligence community uses it a lot including our police forces as well for hires like who they hire that you have to take a polygraph test um so that's a problem <laughs> um, and also it's one of those bullshit things where it's like if you don't if the if detectives are investigating you and you don't take one, they can be like, "Hey, look, you didn't take the lie detector test. That makes them suspicious." It's like, no, you know? it's not. It doesn't mean anything, you idiot. It's such bullshit. I wish uh, we would just. They just. They should just be illegal. Honestly, <laughs> it's straight up pseudoscience. <laughs> you know, the guy who created a Wonder Woman worked on the original uh, lie detector. Really? Yeah. Professor Marston? Yeah, that's why uh, Wonder Woman's lasso of truth makes you tell the truth. Oh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. Also, he was way into bondage. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. So. I met that guy's granddaughter. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, the the family's still, like, super tight with, like, they're very, like, uh, they were not happy with the film that was released. (laughs) Apparently oh, okay. it got a lot wrong, and they're not happy about that. Yeah, well, there's a but lot. Lovely people. Yeah, they used the new Wonder Woman origin for the basis because Jeff Johns was pulling the strings behind the scenes, mm. and um, you know the new Wonder Woman origin is terrible. But... You don't like Jeff Johns? No. No, that was, that was a joke. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I was I was gonna try to do a joke, but then I was just like, no, I just need to make it clear. Yeah. <laughs> Some people say. The new Wonder Woman origin is secretly brilliant and totally revitalized the character. Who the fuck would say that? Those people aren't allowed to vote. 
They shouldn't be allowed to breathe. Anyways. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, frustrating. Yeah. But, but, but Mako solves the mystery. But you, don't, you don't understand, man. It's like a deconstruction of a reconstruction of a deconstruction of a metatextual analysis of third wave feminist theory behind the walls, all written by white men. <laughs> <laughs> and also at a certain point, if you reconstruct and deconstruct enough, you're just going to end up back to square one. <laughs> yeah. You can't reconstruct the deconstruction. That's just, that's the same thing. <laughs> or at some point is that it, there's an incredibly simple version of the character and you could just do that. But Mako solves the mystery this episode. <laughs> Our boy's hey, growing Mako. up. <laughs> that idiot. He found out that there was a secret door. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That I forgot that secret little action tunnel. beat when the, the secret yes, the secret tunnel. tunnel, the return of the <laughs> secret tunnel. Um, when that, uh, explodes and Korra saves them. Like, I forgot that that little beat happened, so that caught me off guard this time. And also, my headcanon is now that Zaofu was built upon the original secret tunnel from The Last Airbender. Just hey, why not? Yeah. You said you wanted to talk about the city um, when we were talking. Oh, I just think the city is fucking, like, the design is really fascinating to me. Like okay. how it's like, it, it's like a culture built upon, like, self-expression we're seeing a lot more modern architecture for the first time in this in the the series because a lot of it is obviously very inspired by like uh, more ancient cultures and like stuff that is is outside of Western architecture. Obviously, a lot of Asian influence in, in these cities, and this one feels like I don't know. It still feels like uncommon in um, modern franchises to see like stuff that's not just trying to do star wars you know kind of run down <laughs> uh fantasy style and this is like look at how beautiful fantasy can be it's this exciting thriving city that's like it's constantly on you like discovering new ways to to express people's identity through art culture sciences like i don't know i i think it, it's one of the most exciting things that the series has done like just a place just where as a whole. scientist wouldn't be bound by petty morality. No, 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 no. It's not Bioshock. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little close to Rapture. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's, there's much more empathy going on here. You so know, Ian I, definitely could. Yeah, but like, if you challenge her, she could totally pull an Andrew Ryan. <laughs> well, no, like Suyin is very much like, I'm not, I'm not like Lin Beifong. I'm a cool Beifong. You know, like there is yeah. a little bit of that, but. I, I think there's more of a an empathetic angle on all of this that makes strength it strength is not in steel and fire. That is what the parasites will never understand. Oh my god! Okay, yes, I, I see it now, but that's not <laughs> that's not why I like it. I I think it's just a really exciting perspective whoever that we voiced, don't get in a lot of these fantasy stuff. Whoever voiced Andrew Ryan did such a great job. He doomed like dozens upon dozens upon hundreds of. <laughs> young white men from being for being libertarians yeah <laughs> such a charismatic performance <laughs> really want that bioshock movie still but anyways i i love zaofu I, i'm glad it sticks around for this the remainder of the series yeah it's 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 a fun location yeah uh, but we're gonna but leave it this episode guy was a foot was a fake we got him though well, no, they don't. They don't get him until the next episode, the stakeout. Oh yeah, he got away. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, he gets away uh, as Korra and Team Avatar go after him, 
And Su Yin helps sneak them out because Lin is like, we obviously obviously need to go back to Republic City to keep you safe. And, like, I actually, like, agree with her. (laughs) Yeah, this is a bit of a weird one where it's like, for once, Korra is big wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to be fair, like we were talking about, it's... It makes sense for the character, but it's also like, dude, Korra, yeah. <laughs> um, like, they this just really got one up on them, you know? Yeah. Like, we like we literally don't know what they're planning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't know. that For all we know, they want us to follow him. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, don't, that's a bad move. Mm-hmm. Bad move, Korra. And, and but, but, you know, even in this bad move in Chapter 9, the stakeout, Mako's still, like, got his old... Detective hat on, he's like doing a good job and not being a full on idiot. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't suck as much. Um, I have to say though, uh, you know what though, that you know what was uh, ah, fuck, I was trying to think of a clever way to say this. Um, but fuck it, you know what is significant about episode nine, season three? Uh, You're gonna tell me. No, I'm not. Okay. Um, okay, no. Um, what's significant <laughs> about it is this is when they finally started just putting the shows online. <laughs> oh. This is when they made that shit. That's right. Where they're like, fuck it. Which I don't know why. <laughs> because Nickelodeon the the... is run by cowards. Yeah, but like Nickelodeon, like, in, like you know, I think I've, 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 I've made this point too many times, but it's like... There are so many videos online that are like, what happened to Nickelodeon? What happened to Cartoon Network? What happened to the Disney Channel? And, like, so many times the answer is you grew up. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing fundamentally changed. You just grew up, and now they make shows for a different audience that is no longer you. Yeah, yeah, like a now. normal thing. But the thing is, yeah. this wasn't normal in any capacity. Yeah, but, <laughs> this but, doesn't but happen still. Yeah, Nickelodeon in general has just been a fucking mess lately. <laughs> like... <laughs> I don't know what's going on over there. Like, how, like, what... Because, like, they kept doing this weird thing. It happened for a few years with Nickelodeon where they kept, like, they'd have this new show, they'd make a big announcement, there'd be a big push for it, and then they would just, like, abandon it after the first season. And they either just wouldn't make more, even if it, like, did all right, or they would just, like, they would make sporadic episodes, (laughs) like... It just, it went so weird from where they were like, they were making shit like, you know, Spongebob, which is like still on the air. <laughs> like, and then they just, at some point they just gave up. It's just weird. And now they're doing Spongebob spinoffs, which, you know, not to be yeah. old man yelling at Cloud, but like Steven Hellenberg, the creator of Spongebob specifically did not want spinoffs yeah. of Spongebob. And now he's, you know, unfortunately passed away, rest in peace. And they're doing that? That's, like, really gross. That's a whole other it topic is. of conversation, but that that's very upsetting to me. It's incredibly gross. But it's also... But just think about it for a second where it's like... Can you name a Nickelodeon show other than Spongebob that's on the air right now? I found out Fairly Odd Parents was on until, like, five years ago. Does that count? Yeah. Um, no, because it's not on the air anymore. Okay. <laughs> Literally, but again, literally the only two we would have been able to name (laughs) were stuff that were on when we were children. And, like, I want to say that that's, like, fine. 
Yeah, but I, but I feel like just through cultural osmosis, where it should be something where it's like we should at least know that something is a thing, you know? I you guess because we're so online, we you know? We, it, well, there's that, but it's also like, you know, like our parents knew what Pokemon was. They didn't understand it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they knew Pokemon existed, right? Oh, yeah, and then they'd want to go to the, for your birthday, they'd want to get you uh, one of those Nintendos, and they meant a video game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like parents are like that. We're like, I, like through cultural osmosis, we should just know what is on Nickelodeon right now. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like you know, like I know, like We Bear Bears is like a show that's on Cartoon Network. Like I'm not, I don't watch it. <laughs> it's it's just because I just don't have time. It's a kids show, whatever. And but like I know it exists. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it. I just find it fascinating that like literally the only show that they have on that has any kind of staying power is Spongebob yeah I don't know man it's just it's just weird weird. I just find it odd and and to to go back to Korra though like it's super weird that they did just pull it from the air because this was a season where finally like I, I think just across the board, everyone kind of realized this is the season where all the gears just fell into place. We're firing yeah. in all cylinders at this point. The the reviews were, were, like, better than ever. And the first two seasons weren't, like, critically reviled by any means. They were just mixed positive, I would say. Yeah. Positive mixed, you know, like, at worst. Um, yeah. There was but no, like, uh, I, I, three-hour-long video on YouTube about how Legend of Korra is the worst. Yeah, not at that point, anyways. I'm sure there is now, and I will never watch those. But like, there absolutely is. And yeah. I watched maybe like 20 minutes. <laughs> You're better than that. You deserve better. That's all I want to say. Yeah. But like, has there ever been like an explanation for why this happened? I guess it just wasn't getting the ratings. But like, also like, what do you have to put on that would do better? You know? Yeah, because like, like it's, uh, it... on on the Wikipedia, this is not like a a, a hard science, but like U.S. viewers and millions. Average above 125, 1.25 yeah. million. I mean, that's pretty good. You know? Yeah, for a cartoon. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's it's also this weird thing of like, all right, maybe it's not getting the ratings you want. Maybe the toys aren't selling well, which is always a thing. Like they always say that really what keeps these cartoons on the air is the toys. Yeah, which is fucking like, insane. But whatever. They can lose money airing, but will make the money back through toys. Like, that's really what these things are. But it's one thing to go, like, all right, it, the toys aren't selling well. It's another thing to, in the middle of the season, <laughs> just start putting them online. Like, I I just... It, it was it was an odd move, to say the least. Yeah. Um, and I remember I, I like I was watching this when it was on the air, and then I didn't see the end of it for a while because I didn't understand <laughs> like what was happening. I, it, again, it's just, it's just so weird to me where it's like you already have these episodes in the bank, you know, like they're they're we're finished, <laughs> and it's like you're just not gonna air them. I just don't understand the logic there. And then when they do decide to to release them to the world, we'll, we'll get into that for season four. Because that's very upsetting, but yeah, again, we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, it's the 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 stakeout Mako's still doing a good job at being like a good detective. Uh, Cora, true detective, and, and, with true Mako. detective. Oh my god, this was the same year True Detective came out. By the way, 
Yeah. 2014 guess best looking. Which, guess which has had more cultural staying power? <laughs> Legend of Korra? Yeah. I would say so. I, I guess. I mean, the, the memes for, uh, for True Detective kind of keep it going, not like the yeah. show itself, you know? Yeah. You ever try to rewatch that shit? No, <laughs> I feel like I, I, I got enough of it the first time. Like, I loved it, and I feel like I'm good not revisiting it. <laughs> Or you could just read the conspiracy against the human race, which is where they lifted like a ton of McConaughey's dialogue from. Nick Pizzolatto is like cosmic brain, like to the nth degree. Yeah. <laughs> which is like, why well, I get a kick out of him, but I don't think he's like talented, you know? He, it was something though, where when I saw what he looked like, I felt betrayed. Oh, cause he's like this, this cut like white dude. Yeah, he looks like a stockbroker. Like, <laughs> you know? Like, remember that scene in The Big Short where they meet those two guys who are like bragging about how they're ripping off poor people and immigrants? Oh, and that's Nick Pizzolatto? So, yeah, that, that's what he, he looked like, one of those guys. Well, have you seen that picture of him like smoking at his barbecue, like writing notes on his script? Mm, no, yeah, that's like. That sounds like something. Yeah. Like, that's the energy of a dude I want to write, like, like direct-to-video action sequels, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what I want in my life. But I don't want them, like, participating in actual, like, art, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think that's, like, appropriate, if that makes well, sense. What are you going to do? Yeah. T- time is a flat circle. <laughs> well, Matthew McConaughey is what sells that shit. Not like the writing. That weird weird thing where it was like suddenly McConaughey was like everywhere for like two years. Yeah. And then he did the Beach Bum, which is a masterpiece. Yeah, no, Beach Bum's great. I fucking love the Beach Bum. I think that's a genuinely great movie. But it's weird that he kind of just like completely disappeared. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was, it was so weird where everyone was like, he like after years of trying to make rom-coms work and failing, it was like, he's finally here. And it wasn't like that move where Nolan cast him in Interstellar before Dallas Buyers Club and before True Detective had come out. Yeah, and like, it just it was, all that post production, you know. Yeah, and it was that thing of everyone was like, "You're fuck, you're gonna fuck this whole movie up, Christopher Nolan," and then suddenly, like McConaughey becomes like the biggest star ever. Yeah. <laughs> They were doing shit like Killer Joe. Like, remember that you had like that weird run? Yeah. Oh, the like, Lincoln Lawyer. I remember that was the first one yeah. where people were like, "Oh, hey, he's a really good actor." Like he does Lincoln Lawyer, Killer Joe, Mud, and Bernie. Like all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mud. I love like, Mud. Oh, Mud's great. You ever see Bernie? Yeah, Bernie's great. Ber- Bernie's tons of fun. Um, yeah, it's just like and. Uh, Killer Joe was one of those movies I put on and everyone got mad at me. <laughs> but... <laughs> William Friedkin did that one, right? I, I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, is that the last Friedkin film? It might be. Yeah. Huh. That's a hell of a one to end on. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll check it out. I mean, um, you've never seen Killer Joe? No. Oh, it's fucking um, wild, I'll just say. <laughs> um, okay. I saw a bug. He... I'm not like yeah, bug. Yeah, bug is crazy. Um, well, it's weird where he had this... There's this thing with uh, Friedkin where he does, like, he fucking does, like, The Guardian, which is the Killer Tree movie. <laughs> Whoa, I haven't seen that. Oh, you've never seen The Guardian? No. Uh, the Guardian's this weird film where they, 
it's like it was trying to be like the hand who rocks the cradle where it's like a nanny is going to kill the baby or something like that. And it's based on a book and Sam Raimi was supposed to do it. And so it was written for Sam Raimi (laughs) as like this kind of schlocky horror film. Right. Mm -hmm. And then William, Sam Raimi leaves and they're like, all right, well we got William Friedkin. (laughs) And so it's William Friedkin doing a script that was meant for Sam Raimi, and then the studio goes, well, if it's going to be a William Friedkin film, it has to be supernatural. Like, it, because it, he did The Exorcist. <laughs> so it's like, all right, so the nanny's like this supernatural being that, like, feeds on the young. All right, like, you know, like, that's not a huge stretch, right? Mm-hmm. But then Friedkin's like, there's got to be more to this character, and he becomes obsessed with, like, the, the, the M.R. James story, The Ash Tree. <laughs> Which is this story about like a tree that's like haunted this family for generations, and then like it like it there's like a twist at the end, and so they end up making the nanny like this like beast called Camilla that's like does human sacrifices what to the, the tree, and she's like an extension of the tree. <laughs> the hell is this? Is real? And this is a real film. Um, I believe Shout Factory put out a version of it recently. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> they do everything. Yeah. It's not like it's not as fun as it sounds, but it's like ninety minutes and it's crazy. <laughs> okay, I like William um, Friedkin a lot. So it's just weird because it's like they it's a schlock script that they made schlockier, but then William Friedkin wanted to play it entirely straight. Mm. Like, that's what's weird about it. And then, like, he doesn't do a good movie for, like, a decade. (laughs) (laughs) Including he does the 12 Angry Men remake for television. (laughs) Have you ever seen that? No, but I remember hearing about that. Yeah, George C. Scott is the guy who yells at the end. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) You're number three or whatever. Um, But here's the big move that the William Friedkin remake makes. Get ready for this one. Remember how there's the racist in the original 12 Angry Men? Mm-hmm. There's the one, the juror, who's like, he keeps saying, like, oh, you know how these people are, and you don't know if he's talking about poor people or if just, like, you know, criminals or something, but then it becomes very clear that he's a racist. <laughs> well, guess what? In this version, the racist is a black oh, man. I, I, as soon as you said, <laughs> remember the racist, I was like, fuck. That's the twist they put on it for the 90s. Hmm. So Friedkin did that. <laughs> but hey, he, he did but, The Hunter after that. I like The Hunter. Um, I You know what? I saw The the Hunted or The Hunter? The the Hunted. That's the one with Benicio yeah. Del Toro, right? Yeah, I believe so. I saw it once and didn't like it. Okay. Like, I would... I would totally rewatch it, and like maybe I'm just wrong. It's got <laughs> a fucking killer finale. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I remember the I remember the finale being great. Yeah, um, I like, I won't speak to the rest of the film because only the ending stuck with me. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I remember but loving it's, it. It's like he disappears for a while, and then he does Bug. <laughs> yeah, which is and like Killer Joe, <laughs> insane, like back to back, which like Bug totally destroys Ashley Judd's career. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And, and then Killer Joe kind of is, like, the beginning of the Meconaissance. And it's, like, two, like, fucking wild movies for an older director to do. And then he just hasn't done anything. Yeah. 
Except well, occasionally get mad on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you do the exorcist and sorcerer, you, you could do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The best was like years ago, right? But when like you couldn't get a good version of Sorcerer for a long time, <laughs> and he would like show up in Amazon reviews, <laughs> being like, "I'm director William Friedkin. I made this movie. Don't buy this coffee. It's bad." <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. <clears throat> uh, that was that was good. Oh, and he did that documentary about an Exorcist, right? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, he did like one where he was like. I directed, I'm William Friedkin, I directed The Exorcist, and what I saw fucking blew my mind. And I don't think it was that interesting, but... <laughs> hey, what are you gonna do? Yeah, he seems to have calmed down, which is good. No, he hasn't, but <laughs> he, he's just not making movies as much. No, I, I heard him on, a, on an interview with um, Mark Marin on Mark Marin's podcast... Oh, and sure. Mark Marin was like, oh, you know, like, because you used to you used to really do it. You know, you used to really get in there with the filmmaking and directing. You used to really almost crash these cars. And then William Friedkin, you know, much older and, like, weathered now, was like, no, no, I, I was wrong. I was wrong to do that. And I just never expected to hear that guy say that, you know? Hey, you know what? That's a lot better than a lot of other directors mm-hmm. where they will just, like, stick to their guns. And yeah, like, no, yeah. It was, I was trying to shock my actor, so I fired a gun on the set. Yeah, or... Which I think is a thing he did. Like, didn't he do that on The Exorcist? That sounds about right. <laughs> I know he, he fucking launched a woman across the room. Oh, yeah, he, like... And he the mother and The Exorcist. Forever, like, didn't he, like... Didn't that contraption, like, really mess up Linda Blair? Uh, oh, no, not just Linda Blair on, on the bed. But, like, her mother... Yeah, yeah, I know the mom got injured, too. But I'm just saying, like, I think Linda Blair, like, was injured for the rest of her life. Oh, I didn't know that. That's fucked up. I think, I think like, something about that setup, like, really hurt her. Oh, that's too bad. Then he's like, I'm doing fucking Sorcerer next. You know what all Americans want to see? A remake of The Wages of Fear. And then... (laughs) And then Star Wars fucking knocks it out of the water. Yeah, and then... He's like, and then I'm going to do Cruising. (laughs) <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> great movie but uh i don't know i think man. that's what they i think that's what they call a problematic fave <laughs> oh no no yeah yeah totally but um and they just fucking to live and die in la which is one of the fucking greatest films ever made yeah yeah that movie fucking rules so hard <laughs> and it is it is bleaker than his horror films <laughs> <laughs> also um shot by robbie mueller who's maybe the greatest cinematographer who ever lived yeah so uh to pair it with manhunter which is not shot by robbie mueller but the color palettes are strikingly familiar <laughs> and so william peterson films oh there you go that's why and, yeah and then he's like uh <laughs> i don't want to he's like there's always like these things are like why didn't you, you know you had fucking to live and die in LA and Manhunter back to back. Like, why, why didn't your career take off? He's like, why would I want my career to take off? Like, <laughs> he's one of those guys. They, he was supposed to be, he was the first choice for Henry Hill and Goodfellas. That's and he turned it down. Nuts. Oh, I'm like, I love Ray Liotta, but yeah. because I'm such a diehard Manhunter fan, I want to peek into that universe so badly. Yeah. 
Same. I, it's like there's all these big roles where like he turned it down, and people are like, "Are you regretful about that?" He's like, "No, I didn't really want to do that." <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that attitude. Yeah, I do too. That's good. He's got a similar attitude. Um, Gabriel Byrne. If you ever read interviews with him, hmm. where he's like, "I think Hollywood's a cesspit," <laughs> like, and he's like, "I do movies I want to do." No, that <laughs> that's the attitude I think a lot of people should have. You know, live which without is why, regrets and shit. Which is why you don't see him in movies for like five years, and then suddenly he's in Hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> but Team Avatar finds Iway in the Misty Palms Oasis, and before we get into the final conflict in this episode, uh, I think it's super cool that again we're seeing the spirits kind of like start shaping the world around him, and in the middle of this desert oasis, there's like a frozen fountain now with the spirits kind of just dancing around it because they can just do that they can just do whatever and And they're just here now yeah and so i could see how that'd be pretty frustrating for people in the world you know well it's kind of funny that we started off the show with like how is Korra gonna fix republic city and then like her answer is i'm not and then she just leaves (laughs) forget it Korra. it's republic city yeah (laughs) You know what, though? Hey, fine. Whatever. Yeah, the president's a dick. <laughs> yeah, the president's a dick. You know, and it, so you just referenced Chinatown. Republic City isn't being controlled by Noah Cross. <laughs> so I think they're doing all right. Yeah, hey. Um, the future Avatar no. Quora. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what, you know what? Fucking, I gotta say this. One thing that's kind of ruined There Will Be Blood to me... <laughs> Is that I, I realized that Daniel Lee Lewis is just doing a John Huston impression. Oh my god. <laughs> he really is. Like <laughs> it's it's just John Huston. I hate you. Am I wrong? <laughs> I, I don't want to think still, about it because I feel it settling in now. It's still it's still a very engaging performance, but let's just say he's doing a John Huston impression. <laughs> Wow. You're like a fool, don't you, Tilford? <laughs> no, I drink your milk fake, Mr. Getz. Mr. Getz. <laughs> oh, God, Noah Cross is the most disgusting film villain of all time. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> I think that would, like, top my... Like, if you had to go, like, greatest screen villains, it's like, he's the worst. Like, yeah. But, like, he's not... Because with those lists, it's fun to talk about the villains. He's not fun to talk about. That's how bad he is. I will say, no, here's what's amazing about Noah Cross. He's fucking repugnant <laughs> and disgusting <laughs> and just awful. And John Huston still finds a way to make him charismatic, you know? Like, that performance is really engaging. Mm-hmm. It's not just, like, repellent. It is, but it's also, like, more than that, which is what's kind of amazing about it. Yeah, well, I mean, he was just one of the one of the greats. That's fucking why. My daughter too. Oh, that fucking guy. Yeah, no, that's that's fucked up. That's, that guy is such a fucking piece of shit. I really feel like I've been, we've just been living in the ending of Chinatown for the past four. No. Years. <laughs> like how I felt these last four years is just how I felt the first time I watched Chinatown. And so the next four years are the tale of two Jakes or whatever. I mean. I think things worked out better in that one. <laughs> it's not a good film. I haven't I haven't seen it. What's the comedy bang bang joke? Listen to the two Jakes, it's two Chinatowns. <laughs> 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 
That's not my joke. Forget it, the two Jakes. It's the two Chinatowns. It's not my joke, but I just always think about it. So Korra and Asami discover that Aiwei is meeting with Zaheer in the spirit world, not in the oh, real world. I, I have to say, it gets a little similar to fucking No Country for Old Men for a second. Whoa. How? <laughs> Where they're, how? Whenever they, they get the one room because of its location, remember? Mm-hmm. Like, so long as it's next to this room, because they're going to try and spy on the guy at first, remember? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. And so they're doing, like, it's kind of like that scene where he... It's like, I'll take the room back here. He's like, that's got two double beds. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> wow. Um, did not expect that. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I don't know how to tie it back in. No, no, but you know what? Just like shit goes sideways at the motel in No Country for Old Men, shit goes sideways here too. Because Cora tracks down Iway when he's meeting with Zaheer. And then Zaheer fucking throws him into the fog of lost souls. And that's a long way of explaining this dude is dead forever. <laughs> yeah. Does he not come back? Does he no, not? No. Iway uh, never comes never. back. Spoiler okay, alert. I just wanted to, yeah. just wanted to check. Because I didn't remember. Because like, they make a big thing where she's like, I need you to go get him because I'm pissed off. Like, Su Yin's all angry. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, is there, like, they're going to get him back and, like, he's going to be fucked up, but she'll still get. And I was like, oh, and I, so no, he does not. No, no, That's no, always no. that. that that's this the classic children's cartoon thing where they can't really kill someone, even though this show does kill people. Um, but they, like, they always have to find, like, a way around it somehow. And they somehow make it worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> which is a, it's something that seems to happen a lot. Yeah, it's uh, is, it's hey, fucked wait, up. Is that maybe why these episodes started going online? Oh, uh, we we have to talk about that next time. Um, but this one does kind of start kicking that up. Yeah, there's a big shift. <laughs> yeah, and and I will say, um, listeners who who are experiencing this for the first time, as we're you're listening to this retrospective. Many people who I mentioned uh, watched this show for the first time and did fall in love with it did also comment that, hey, that season gets pretty heavy at the end. Yes. Um, so just a forewarning there. Cause, it uh, gets so heavy. I've seen it twice before now. I am nervous about revisiting it. Yeah, like, it, it, it actually... It, it Not to the point of like disturbing people, but it definitely... It made people pause for a second. It so is, just, it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, I'm worried, I have to find a good time, because it's like, there's a good chance it could fuck up my day, you know? <laughs> I guess, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, where uh-huh. you, there's some movies where you, you watch it, you know it's going to be terrible, and you know you have to, like, like, I can't watch this movie tonight, because I know it's going to put me to bed in a weird fucking state of mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just know that these last four really do that. Yeah. But uh, with Korra, Korra's spirit in the spirit world, she ends up being kind of, um led on by Zaheer and he starts distracting her with a monologue about the Red Lotus and they're an offshoot of the White Lotus but they want to overthrow governments and mm-hmm. believe that chaos is the natural state of the world it needs to be ever in flux they're explicitly anarchist um, and my anarchist friends are probably very upset with this season yeah. <laughs> uh, okay so I, I think they'd be okay if I said this my my friend Soren Howe he was just on the, the Waffle Press hangouts talking to me and Gene 
about science stuff because he is much smarter than both of us and explained mm-hmm. vaccines a little clearer for us. And we talked a little bit about outbreak movies and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. He identifies as an anarchist. And so he... We have. He's also a huge Last Airbender and Legend of Korra fan. Like, okay, he might actually be a bigger fan than I am, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he also loves this season and this series. Okay, but uh, there's also like, like everything in Korra comes with an asterisk like, with the political would, stuff. You know what I mean? Would like to hear his take on it. I I want to hear more of it too. But um, I know he he does love these last two seasons a lot. I believe he uh, follows me on Twitter. Yeah, uh, Soren Howe, great guy. He's uh, he's he's also very politically active and a fantastic writer. So, I'll link to his stuff down below on the on the YouTube. If he but, unfollowed um, me, he might be the one person that would follow me because I'm not political enough. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone seems to unfollow me because I get I talk too much out of my ass about politics. <laughs> <laughs> so, mm. um. But hey, yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb though and say that maybe this isn't an accurate representation of what anarchists believe. Uh, I dabbled in anarchism at one point in my life. I sounded like Walter from The Big Lebowski <laughs> <laughs> when he's like, he was like, I too dabbled in pacifism at one point. Not Nam, of course. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think they're more liberal view of anarchists. You know what I mean? Where it's not, yeah, like, it's never... really founded in the same beliefs, but it it's just kind of, like, it coincides enough to be threatening and also to make yeah. for a pretty compelling villain. <laughs> well, it's, it's like anarchism taken to its logical extreme, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, if you take any political philosophy and go, like, as far as you possibly can with it, it usually ends up bad. Like, that's yeah. just how it is most of the time. Yeah. And to the credit of Legend of Korra is ultimately the point of all the conflicts, you know, mm. where... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I worry that it gets a little close to being like, that's why centrism is right. <laughs> no, t- totally. That That is a genuine, like, concern, because uh, I, I think what separates Korra, at least up to now in the rewatch, is that it's taken all those conflicts and push the characters to new places, new experiences, and evolve the world around them, you know? It's not just yeah. a thing that has to be dealt with so they can move on. Like, even the equalist stuff, you know, gets kind of dropped. But there is, like, a non-bender president of Republic City now. That presents its own yeah. problem, but that's there now, you know? that yes. That's my... At this point in the rewatch, that's my feeling on that. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll see how we feel. I think this is one of those things where... My problem with Zaire and his version of anarchy is that, like, I have a problem with anyone who thinks their political philosophy is, like, it'll be like we're returning things to the natural state, and this is how things should always be forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> that's when, like, any any political thought, that's when, like, I start going, like, I'm not so sure about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. There's one consistency in in life it's just that there's nothing that lasts forever <laughs> so yeah. and we get another cool throwdown while uh zaheer and Korra are are in the spirit world and i guess iway is just going to be there forever now i gotta say there is something kind of brilliant about making henry rollins this guy because this was this was basically henry rollins's talk show <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I never checked that out. Um, he did a good interview with Werner Herzog a while back. Oh, I, I'm going to Google that immediately after we're done recording. <laughs> I remember that. Um, yeah. Henry Rollins is an interesting guy. Um, I don't know what he's up to these days. I don't know either, but uh, I remember... Well, he wasn't someone who's like, like got super pro uh, Joe Biden because he's not Donald Trump or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that would be a bummer. Um, you know, like a lot of like radical guys kind of went that way these last few years. Mm-hmm. Like, where I was like, I was, I was just pro Joe Biden until the the election results came in. Yeah, and then I was like, all right, fuck like, this guy. Uh, just to be clear, right, fuck him. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't like, know. I he's been pretty I'm happy that I'm happy that Trump lost. I'm not happy that Joe Biden won. Yeah, yeah, but Henry Rollins is pretty uh, outspokenly like anti-racist, and not that that's like a high bar. You know, it's like the baseline yeah. of humanity. Well, I mean, it's but... it's one of those things where in his, you know, in that music world, it. You kind of have to, mm-hmm. you know, because unfortunately it's that thing of if you don't explicitly say who isn't welcome, you know, mm-hmm. you end up attracting people who you wouldn't want welcome, you know, like if you try yeah. to, well, I'm just being inclusive to everyone, people start testing the limits mm-hmm. and then you just become 4chan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, but but to his credit, he he also this doesn't mean anything, but I just want to bring this up. He was a villain in Sons of Anarchy. He was a white supremacist henchman, and he was like excited about that because he's like, yeah, you gotta like kill this guy like real good at the end, and I guess help like guide the death scene for that character because they wanted to keep That's that character cool. around or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, 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 you can't keep these guys around. <laughs> Sorry, mm-hmm. like I think you guys should kill me. <laughs> So that, that's kind of cool. Interesting guy. As far as I know, I'm a fan. This is one thing. I've absorbed a lot of Henry Rollins information. I have never listened to a Black Flag song. <laughs> I don't think I have that's, either. That's one of those things where like, I, there are musicians that I quote unquote like, but I've mostly just read interviews with them and then like I don't listen to their music. I don't know why I don't make that next step. <laughs> Bob Dylan's the exact opposite. <laughs> Where I hate all his interviews because he's impossible. And I've listened to a lot of his music. <laughs> what if Bob Dylan was the villain? No. All right, all right, let's wrap let's wrap up. Let's wrap up. <laughs> you know you know where I'm trying to go with it. I know, I know. <laughs> you know where that was going. Zahir just stalls Cora and uh Bolin and Mako end up being overwhelmed. By the other members of the White Lotus, and Asami has to escape with Korra on Naga's back. And right as they're about to escape, they get captured by the Earth Queen's forces, who have been chasing them this entire time. All of this shit's getting thrown into the fan, and the Red Lotus is 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 kind of coming out on top at the end of this episode. Things aren't looking good, Matt. No, they aren't. No, especially because I have to edit this episode. But I like the this run a lot, and this season is is really. Um, I've seen it a couple times, I'm being honest, but uh, it it's good. It's very, very good right now. But yeah, on that note, I guess we could just wind down. So, Matt. Yeah, I, think, I think we're good, mm-hmm. but here's a question I have for you. Oh, no. What Academy Award-nominated actor appears in the Bob Dylan film Masked and Anonymous in Blackface? Judy the answer, Garland. Ed Harris. <laughs> Wait, what? Ed Harris. No way. He's like, he like he shows up and he's like in minstrel blackface. Oh They're boy. trying to make a point. Oh my <laughs> so. god. 
Uh, now try to guess who is masked and who's anonymous. There is no answer. <laughs> on that note, Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at Emperor OTN at Twitter.com and on Twitch. You can find me at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, <laughs> and Patreon, where you can check out the rest of Book Three. Too long. This is a two and a half hour recording. I'm gonna I'm gonna whittle it down to an hour. Yeah, no, no. Diego is gonna fucking put in more work than he should have to because I'm a jackass. No, but no, shut the fuck up. You know what? Everything happened this recording. I got I got phone yeah. calls. I had to step away for a second. This, this was a John, mess, but. John Goodman plays Uncle Sweetheart in Masked and Anonymous. Which have been professionally unprofessional. <laughs> We're talking the rest of book three next time. Bye. Yes. Yes. Uh...